Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to my time capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I talk to my guests about the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, and one thing that they rather regret. Something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. And those are the things we talk about. My guest in this episode is the English actor and musician Graham Fellows, better known as his alter egos, John Shuttleworth and the punk singer Jilted John, whose hit Gordon is a Moron is still regarded as a classic from the 1970s punk era. Well, by me and anybody else with any sense. Graham trained at Manchester Polytechnic and created the character John Shuttleworth, a middle-aged aspiring singer-songwriter from Sheffield in 1986. Prior to this, he'd played Paul McCartney in Lennon of the Crucible Sheffield and appeared in Time Gentleman Please, Coronation Street, Heartbeat and several other shows. But John has been part of Graham's life and a perennial favourite of BBC Radio 4 for nearly 30 years. He's toured all over the world with him and performed on numerous occasions at the Edinburgh Festival. Now, during our chat, Graham talked to me about the comedy songs that I've been involved with over the years. For example, as part of the spoof Gee's group, the heebie-jeebies, and with Spitting Image. I only tell you that so that when it comes up, you have some idea of what we're on about. The rest of the chat, well, I leave making sense of it to you. I hope you have as much fun as I did. 
Yeah, I'm on tour, mate. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. I bet it is, yeah. But I have enjoyed lockdown. I cannot pretend I haven't. And I've put some of that enjoyment into the narrative of my revised show, which is called John Shuttleworth's Back. Originally, it was about John's bad back. (laughs) And uh, this time, of course, it's about him being back. So we've not needed to change the posters at all. (laughs) But have you changed the songs? We have. Are they all uplifting? They are. Well, yeah, what I'm trying to do is... uh, bring back some of my old songs that I haven't played for years, some of John's old songs, and I've mm. we're pretending that he's found his old keyboard that I used to use. When I started doing stand-up in the late 80s and early 90s, I used this particular keyboard. It's a, a Yamaha PSS 681. You know the model, Mike? Oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, <laughs> intimately. Yeah. But <laughs> it's a cracking, uh, cracking organ, actually, Um but what happened was, I in 92, my agent wrote to Yamaha, because I was starting to do quite well in gigs, and said, can we have a free organ? <laughs> <laughs> and they gave us this, the, the Yamaha PSS 51. So I basically got two organs on stage, and um, I covered them with a black cloth, and it looks from the front a little bit like a giant face mask. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And you look like Rick Wakeman as you're sitting there. Indeed I do, and I accentuate the look by wearing a gold lame <laughs> cloak, which I purchased from, from eBay for £5. It was always a cheap act, wasn't it? <laughs> it certainly was. It certainly was, Mike. Um, and if the listeners knew the trouble we've gone to to make this connection, they would blame my sort of cheapness. I, you know, I didn't even have a connector for my headphones, so... I may well put all of that chaos out. As a simple explanation as to how does somebody come up with a character like John Shuttleworth? Oh, here we are. There is a fairly short story about how John Shuttleworth came into being, but um, I guess it will probably come out in the uh, time capsule. Absolutely. Well, let's explore that then, shall we? Okay, I can do that. Okay, good luck. So, Mike, the first thing I want to cherish and keep Mm -hmm. is my paper round. Oh, right. I had a paper round when I was uh, 14. Yeah. Until I was about 17 and absolutely loved it. Because it taught me discipline, you know. Um, I hated getting up early in the morning. In fact, it didn't get up that early. I used to leave for my paper round as my sister Sally was returning with her empty bag. And she'd be sitting down for her breakfast and I'd just be going off and she'd have a little smile on her face. <laughs> but I, I just loved I loved folding up the, the newspapers and um, putting them in the right letterbox, you know. Did you do around yourself? I didn't, but I did something similar in as much as I know the pleasure in the simple process of doing something and doing it well. I understand that. Well, you do. Meaningless songs in very high voices, <laughs> which I've become a massive fan of again. Well, I'll be honest, I wasn't a massive fan when it came out. I just thought, huh, someone else with a novelty hit single, and it's a bigger hit than mine was. <laughs> so I kind of ignored it, but recently in preparation for this program can i just say this mike and please don't cut it out your performance especially in the swedish version of meaningless songs by the heebie-jeebies is just stunning (laughs) you even do little pelvic thrusts towards the end i do yeah but the other two didn't no no and in fact if we discussed it between the three of us they would be saying you did what (laughs) (laughs) because we were always looking out. So they were very unaware of many of the things that I did on stage. Yeah. Thankfully. It it struck me that 
You, you enjoyed it so much, didn't you? I think the other two were a little bit nervous and you just loved it. I always enjoy being on stage. Yeah, yeah. well, clearly. Um, now, and one of those high notes that you hit right at the end mm-hmm. was so high that my little dog, Kenny, sat up and looked quite alarmed <laughs> when, I, when I was listening to it. <laughs> it's true. I just thought your performance had such panache oh. and, uh, and, and the enjoyment was clear. I mean, and it's so random going to Sweden, mm. isn't it, and singing that song. It was a very, very strange weekend. We went there for the weekend to do some promotion for the single, and we went to a restaurant, and in the restaurant were Abba having lunch. That's good. We were introduced. You were, yeah. So... You could get them on your, your podcast now, surely, because they've reformed. Yeah. They need some promotion. This is the one to come on. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, I'm just going to turn my mic a little bit so I can occasionally make eye contact okay, with you. Okay, mate. Because <laughs> um, I notice you're looking at me, even though you said you weren't going to be looking at no, me. you are. I can't resist it. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we just round off the, the paper round? Because yeah. uh, it, was the, it, was the, it was the getting the newsprint on my, my hands, getting gradually... Grayer. I quite enjoyed mm-hmm. that. And at the end, it was the physical exercise as well. And this, and like you say, it's the satisfaction of doing a job and seeing it through. It is a very good training. Well, it was a good training for my milk delivery round, which I did when I was 30 <laughs> after I was very depressed uh, with show business, yeah. um, getting nowhere. And I just sort of uh, went to see a, I don't know if it was a psychoanalyst, it was a counsellor. And at the end, I decided what I really wanted to do with my life was be a milkman. Mm. So I was for three months. I was living in Wood Green at the time, and it was horrible. Do you know, I didn't get a single glimpse of negligee. (laughs) Not one? No. Nobody came to the door saying, morning, Graham. None of that? No. Hey, Milky. Milko. (laughs) They were called Milko, weren't they? Milko. Do you want to hold my gold tops? Uh, That was the sort of thing they said, wasn't it? That's a euphemism, Mike. That's the euphemism I was looking for, the gold tops. I thought it would be all sort of uh, Robin Asquith, who I had the pleasure of being on Celebrity Pointless with recently. Really? Yeah, I wasn't in his team, sadly. I was with that that lady vicar, Mm. who's a big celebrity. Doesn't he live somewhere like Goa or something, Robin Asquith? I don't know. I found him very, very charming and uh, self-effacing because, I mean, he is a bit of an icon. Particularly for people of our age. Absolutely. Enough time has passed for any kind of tawdriness associated with his work Mm. to have evaporated, and he just seems a very pristine, clean, (laughs) clean living chap. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but I came last on that. God, I'm half going off the plot, but you see, that's what I do. Um, Do you need to go back to the paper round? No, I don't think so. We will do. I wanted to know, you know, how large it was. How heavy was your sack at the beginning of the journey? Well, that's the thing. When I started in about 72, 73, it was quite light. Mm. And then instead of giving you more money, I mean, sorry, no, they give you a pay rise because you asked for one. Mm. And then to accommodate that pay rise, they'd give you more papers. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember like, yeah, a couple of years later, the, the sack was very heavy. Biting into your shoulder blade, especially on a Saturday. Yes, it's the weekend round that's the real killer. Yes. But I still enjoyed it because you had the rest of your day, didn't you? And it was the same with the milk round, except the milk round was kind of demoralising because it used to take me till about midday. I'd start at five and I'd finish at least 11 o'clock. I'd mm. be exhausted. I'd just fall onto the sofa and, and sleep because I was doing um, someone else's round, Mike. I was a relief uh, milkman. Yeah. But it was fun. And it's very sad that we don't have milk delivery people anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, but it's a bit pricey. I think that it would be a real shame if that whole thing completely disappeared, if we all no. just went to the shop and bought plastic bottles. You're absolutely right. That's why I did it, the recycling aspect and the ele- the electric floats. It, it yeah. was fun. I've ridden a float. I've actually pretended to be a milkman, and so I've had a go on one of those electric floats. They're quite difficult, aren't they? They just either go or don't go. They do take off, rather, yes. <laughs> uh, but I remember the... the I, I stopped being depressed. That was a good thing because uh, I was on tablets and it sort of cured my depression and made me want to go back into entertainment. And I got a job uh, acting up north. So I finished my job as a milkman just when they said, oh, we've got a round for you. I said, <laughs> too late. Uh, mm. But on the very last day, I, I, I finished at 6 p.m. It was getting dark because I took a photograph of myself with every single uh, person I delivered to. <laughs> yeah, just being really silly. <laughs> well, you are a bit silly. Thank you. Good. Now, this depression, did this come out of... Jilted John was quite quick while you were still at college. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was the first term of, of drama college in um, wow. Manchester. It was the Manchester Poly then. Mm-hmm. It's now the, yeah, something else. It's a university. But I've got a diploma in theatre. You've probably got a degree, haven't you, Mike? <laughs> only just. <I'm> a, only <laughs> just. Well, but I loved it, yeah. Uh, but I, in the first term of the Manchester Poly Drama School in that autumn 77, I was quite into punk, you know, the Sex Pistols and Stranglers and the Buzzcocks. They were, you know, I thought they were very cool because they were mm. from Manchester and... Um, so I, I just decided to write my own punk song uh, as a sort of spoof. I can't pretend I was a full-time punk. I was one of those weekend punks. I, I took my earrings out at night. and um, Yeah, but, but it just happened um, totally by accident. And I was very lucky. It just slid into the charts of its own momentum uh john peel picked it up i mean i was so naive about this i i i sort of went to a record shop in the area and said do you know any punk record labels and they said oh yeah the stiff records oh and there's one down the road called rabid records and so i took this quarter inch tape that i'd made of a demo of it mm. of the song jilted john to them and um and played it to them and they went oh yeah okay uh, maybe and and it did happen uh, incredibly quickly. Uh, and I started doing gigs to, as Jill to John with it with a band to get my equity card because that was mm-hmm. you probably remember, sort of of an age, aren't we? Yes, that's what you did then to how how you got your equity card. But it, it was it was great fun. I mean, I was um, hang on, we may have come on to our second time capsule. Oh, right, okay, great. Accidentally, we will definitely put the paper round in. I won't make it the heavy one. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'll make it the early days with a lighter bag. And a copy of Fur and Feather. Fur and Feather. Yes, please, (laughs) because I used to uh, stop and read the page about mouse news. (laughs) Fancy mice news, yeah. But anyway, that's another another interview because they're not in my time capsule. Okay. Do you want my second item? Yes, please, yes. Well, we've kind of touched on it. Yeah, my second item is an acoustic guitar that was lying around in the canteen of the Manchester Poly School of Theatre, where I went to drama school mm-hmm. in 77. And people used to just sort of play it and um, then put it down and go to the drama class. It was just, it was a battered old guitar lying around. And I picked it up one day and I couldn't play any chords. Someone, uh, I think a, a musician, it must have been, he said, look, if you tune it to a, 
a chord, an open chord, then you can just put your finger across on the frets and you can make chords that way. So I did, and I just put one finger on the fifth fret and it went, I saw I was strumming, I went, and the song had written itself almost. Well, the intro had. Yeah. So I, I'm very grateful to that guitar. There are lots of really iconic guitar intros for songs that the moment you hear them, you know exactly what the song is. That's one of them. Mm. So that's quite something to have achieved, I think. Even though it is a basic samba riff. I realised that later. I was going to say that, obviously. I was going to mention that, but uh, <laughs> gonna, but only when we got more complicated. But I was going to no, keep it No, but you're simple. right. It is, it's very, very uh, iconic and it's instantly recognisable. And it's the sound of it is partly due to the brilliant and late Martin Hannett, who was a record producer who produced The Buzzcocks and Early Joy Division right. and Happy Mondays. Uh, he, he, Yeah, he died quite a few years ago. But he just... Because we got together, uh, I got a band together. It was just me initially and my friend Bernard. Mm. Uh, and then we later fell out over a girl, ironically, because he played Gordon. Oh, no. This is art mirroring life again, Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For example, my father was killed by somebody putting a scorpion in his ear. Very good. And eventually, you know, I killed all my family. It was terrible. Yeah. There we are. Is that a reference to, to a, a part that you've played that I should recognise? It's, it's a reference to Hamlet. Ah, you see, I was an actor and then I stopped going to the theatre to see plays. So although I now understand your reference, for a second you'd lost me. Uh, that's all right. It wasn't a scorpion anyway, it was poison that Polonius, Claudius. Well, yes, but they, they, they claimed a scorpion had crawled into his ear, pouring poison in your ear. Okay. But yeah, I'm saying, you know, I, I was an actor for quite a few years, um, but music was always tugging at me and saying, come on, you know, you're a songwriter. And and really, I think my acting career was doomed the day I picked up that guitar. Uh, my serious acting career. Because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go to the RSC and I wanted to be like you, Mike, actually. I mean, <laughs> our career trajectories have been kind of similar. You know, you've done acting, you've done comedy, yeah. and you're a very good comic actor and you're very successful now. And in the autumn of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the winter. No, not yet. Quite, although I'm putting me thermals on. Well, thermals are great, aren't they? I... <laughs> they're, they're, they're later in my time capsule. Um, okay. Go on. <laughs> well, I suppose you know, I've done all those different things, but only because I sort of, I took time out from the things that were making me a living, as it were, to do mm. the things that I wanted to do. Yes, you're very versatile. (laughs) But I still think uh, falsetto singing might be your finest achievement. Yes, I I agree with you. I think it probably is. But I love doing Jilted John um, until it became a big hit. Um, I've got a story about Simon Williams, a very quick one, Mm -hmm. because he was on your show um, a few months ago. He was, yeah. And I didn't know he was Justin in The Archers. Mm -hmm. But I played his body double when I was 20. Really? Yeah. In what? A Granada TV series called Strangers, I think, um, and he he played himself. He was playing uh, twins, identical twins. And right. I, I mean, I think the shape of my head must have been similar to his. The jawline, kind of, a bit similar. He's a lovely bloke, isn't he? He was lovely. He was very self-effacing. And then at the end of the rehearsal, he said... Can I give you a lift up to town? <laughs> I said, "Well, I'm I'm getting the the bus actually." 
Oh, no, I meant London. Naturally. Yes, he was driving up to town, uh, and I was going back to Didsbury in Manchester, where I lived. But uh, I digress. No, it's all right. Anyway, enough of Simon. But guitar, I think there's something about every single instrument you pick up. It can always kind of give something different. Um, and sometimes if I've run out of inspiration, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't buy new guitars, but I tend to buy like an old... Actually, I'm lying. I do buy new guitars occasionally, but they're not incredibly expensive. Like maybe 500 quid, that's the most I've spent on an acoustic guitar. And then suddenly you find a new tune will come out, you know. Do you remember the make of the guitar? I mean, in those situations, normally, eventually, it just disappears, a guitar like that. You think some bugger has taken it. Yeah, well, it wasn't my guitar. I don't know who owned it. It would, But I do know that a few months later when the singer was riding high in the charts. I, I was at a Christian youth camp in North Devon. Now, can I just say at this point, Mike, I wasn't and remain not a Christian. Not this, that there's anything wrong with being a Christian. I tried to become a Christian, but I just didn't, God did not come to me and take my hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's when you die, isn't it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but I, there, were, there were some very attractive uh, girls there. That's why I went, because my sister had been the previous year because um, she ran away and she went a bit mental and became a Christian, and she showed me some photos. So I thought, I'll go to that camp, and it was lovely. But anyway, while I was there, I got the call to do Top of the Pops, and suddenly, oh, yeah, and I had to slip off in the night to do Top of the Pops for the first time and then come back and finish my my youth camp, the Christian youth camp. Did that help at all with the girls? It didn't at that stage because I I was sworn to secrecy and I, I thought it would sound really stupid if I said, oh, I've just been off to do Top of the Pops. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, you know, they wouldn't believe me. So I didn't. I kept, But then after the camp, a few weeks later, I did get a couple of letters from girls who I'd been trying really hard to get off with and I'd given them my number and they were a little bit nicer to me. Yeah. Yeah. But it was too late then. Too late. It's you and Spandau Ballet <laughs> giving you a lift up to town. Who else was on that Top of the Pops? Um, well, I was on three times, and I had to sing live every time. Brilliant. Yeah. Mike gasped then, ladies and gentlemen. You you can't see the picture, obviously, <laughs> but uh, on my Zoom uh, video thing, he, his, his mouth fell open because <laughs> when he was on Top of the Pops, he probably just mimed. But I did because my song was a chicken song, so I was not in vision. How many hits have you had? Too many. Obviously. No, seriously, have you had more than two then? Um, there were other spitting image songs that we did, but not an enormous number. Have you still got a recording contract? No. Well, that's good. I haven't got a recording contract either. But but no, I was on with um, Blondie. That was the most memorable. Wow. Uh, and I met the jam as well. Um, and I had I, I got a photo of myself as Jill to John kissing Debbie Harry. Oh. Which, yeah, um, no tongues were involved, Mike. You don't need to gasp again. No. It was for publicity. It was like, you know, Jilted John finally gets a girl kind of thing. It wasn't gasping. It was sort of a little bit of sick came up. Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, I went back to this youth camp and carried on with my holiday and suddenly I had to write an album, you know, because record companies, oh, it's a hit record. We better get an album out. And I didn't I only had about three songs, so I started writing songs in the tent <laughs> while everyone else was at tent prayers. I'd be... Uh, now, I didn't have my guitar with me, but you might have already have worked this out. Being a Christian youth camp, there were lots of guitars. So I just found an old, <laughs> I borrowed someone's acoustic guitar and I wrote songs like Bazza's Party and the Paperboy song. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I was a prepubescent. <laughs> uh, you must know the album well, Mike. True Love Stories. Inside Out. Dear. I do know it, dear. I do know it. I think I even owned it. Okay. I, I don't have it anymore, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. It is one of those songs that continues through your life. That's what I like about it. I then had teenage children. I mean, they weren't born as teenagers. They grew into teenagers. And when they were teenagers, we would make holiday tapes. And quite often I would put George and John, yeah. Gordon is a moron, that would go on there because I really like it. And they now really like that song. So it's one of those ones that if you're having a party and it goes on, they jump up. Yay! Yeah, they do, don't they? Mm. Yeah. That's a nice thing to know, isn't it? Well, it is nice. It It is lovely, yeah. No, I'm, I'm very... I'm, it, it's funny, though, because, you know, that it was a character and then... You know, years later, not that many years later, I went on to create another character. You know, what is it? This thing about you can't, I can't be myself and get a hit that way, because I have tried. It's just, I guess it's not. It's just how it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's just luck. You know, I would never judge the quality of the stuff on whether it was a hit or not, because there've been some really terrible things that have been hits, and I'm sure some brilliant songs out there that nobody's ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for kids starting out now because, you know, back then, 78, with that record, it was so kind of easy. I mean, it was kind of unstoppable because it was still a time when uh, novelty records were played on the radio, Mm -hmm. even by Radio 1. Now you wouldn't stand a chance. It wouldn't get airplay. Um, And, yeah, you know, you could go to a record company and say, do you like this? And they go, yes, and we'll, we'll stick it out. Now that's kind of meaningless. Um, I don't know what a hit record is anymore. Anyway, I'm not trying to steer your interview, but I know we're running out of time slightly. And <laughs> and we have touched on this character that I created in 1985. Mm-hmm. And we are coming on to my another time capsule event. Lovely. I'm going to sit back and let you do this. I don't need to be talking at all. You know exactly what you're talking about. Well, you do. You do, actually, uh, because you might want to cut that bit out. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But uh, we should take... Well, I'm going to put that fantastic guitar which is an iconic guitar. And if anybody knows where it is, it should be in a Hall of Fame and it should be permanently tuned to an open chord so that anybody, if they want to, can go... Do you know, that's a brilliant idea. That's a great idea. Yes, we'll find it. We'll find it. But in the meantime, if they really want to look for it, it's in the time capsule. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to number three. Right, we have to take a short break here so that you can listen to some adverts or maybe me talking about our sponsors. Thanks for your patience. We'll be back lickety-split. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back. Time to find out what else Graham Fellows would like to put in his time capsule. Well, number three is very similar in a way. It's it's my first John Shuttleworth organ. Now, I created John Shuttleworth in 1985, which might surprise some people. You know, that is a long time ago. I was in Manchester still. Uh, I was dithering between acting and music, songwriting, and and not really getting that far in either pursuit. Uh, I, I did a few low-rent sort of Granada serials, like um, 
studio and, and one for Yorkshire called The Winning Streak. And I got paid well and I, you know, was busy for like six months, but I, I wasn't really doing great acting work. I got the odd uh, theatre role. But, and then in the meantime, you know, I can remember I'd be writing a song, you know, in the wings of, of, before I went on stage. And I mean, mm. that's not good, Mike, is it? That's not, that's not going to help you remember your lines. <laughs> I'll concentrate on the part. No. No. Um, I, I do remember the reviews saying, strange character. Every time he came on stage, he was just humming to himself. <laughs> <laughs> there was that danger. But I wrote a, a collection of Graham Fellow songs and it became an album called Love at the Hacienda, which was a kind of an homage, though a slightly negative homage to that nightclub in Manchester, which is sadly no longer there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a kind of indie classic, if I maybe so bold as to say it's quite a it's very uh well known in the right circles in japan um, <laughs> vinyl copies have exchanged for 200 quid and then it's been reissued and sold for 25 quid not quite so much but no i wrote these songs and i got a publishing deal with chapel music in london and suddenly i thought oh yeah i'm going to be a, a sort of indie boy singer songwriter because they, they were kind of quite folky but indie you know mm. a bit sort of early nick haywood but a few years before he appeared um oh no what am i saying he'd been around uh, uh, no he was around then and he's brilliant i've worked with nick he looks about 40 <laughs> so jealous and then when i I signed this deal and then I started listening to all these awful demos that were coming into the to the music publishers and got an idea for a character, which was John Shuttleworth, who's a naff singer-songwriter. Uh, I mean, I remember one of these tapes, they called them turkey tapes, I think, where um, people desperately trying to get a deal. And this guy, you could hear someone washing up in the background as he was playing <laughs> his, his keyboard, you know? Uh, and, and everyone loved these tapes. So I decided to do my own tape like that, a little spoof turkey tape, and sent it into the music publishers, and they loved it. They instantly lost interest in my Graham Fellows indie songs, and they said, more John Shuttleworth, please. Oh, no. So Love at the Hacienda is gone. Well, it, yeah, it just became a... Well, it's a, it's, it is available on CD, actually. In Japan. <laughs> there, there's an element. I don't know what it is, but it's just it's sort of the words you use constantly, they just tickle the back of something you know that's why you don't know and so many people don't know if in fact you're being serious because there's always an element where you go did he mean to say that word and i think you see you already made the mistake as yourself by using the word hacienda Ah. to me it says comedy right well that's because you're not from manchester and you don't take that nightclub seriously as everybody did everyone took it far too seriously and manchester became crawled up its own bottom Mm. for a few years, I have to say. Um, speaking as a, an ex-resident of 10 years, it, it started, because I'd loved, in 77, 76 I first went to Manchester, it seemed the most cool, laid-back, unself-aware place in the world. Mm. And I remember it changing, you know, and it just became a little bit, all right, mate, you know, and in a way, the, the way Liverpool had been in the early 80s, because I'd worked in Liverpool for a year, and I felt the same. And then I felt Liverpool change, actually, at the same time, as Manchester did, and that, Liverpool became quite cool and laid back. And I'm sure Manchester is lovely and laid back and unself-aware now. Mm. It's just it was that period that coincided with the Happy Mondays, Oasis, Stone Roses, all that kind of mad Chester bollocks, you know. Yeah. Um, so I left and, and moved down to London for a few years. But just coming back to the keyboard, 
still in Manchester. I, I, my first or- Shuttleworth organ that I made this uh, this spoof demo on. Um, actually, I'm lying. The spoof demo was done on a piano and a guitar because I even had John Shuttleworth strumming the guitar before I realised that the sound he needed was a Yamaha home organ. You know, one of these mm. with built-in auto accompaniment and. My girlfriend at the time, who was this wonderful, crazy Jewish girl uh, called Nikki, and she took me to meet her parents, and her dad was playing <laughs> one of those keyboards, mm. and he just bought it, and he and he showed off his skills, and he was terrible, but it was the funniest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. He kept on hitting, kept on hitting the fill buttons, you know, and 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 he just had this, you know, slightly out of control, but it sounded great and and so mad. And I thought, I've got to record some songs with this new character I've invented on that. So I said, mm. can I borrow it? And he said, no, you can't ever touch it. It's my <laughs> organ. And he was um, very serious about that. So when they went on holiday, him and his wife, me and Nicky went into the house and we stole it. And I took it back to my studio and recorded the first tranche of Shuttleworth songs. <laughs> And then we took the organ back yeah. and we dusted it down so there were no fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to put that in the time capsule. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was at school, I had a friend who his parents used to invite me around. His mother would always be on the sewing machine uh, making him trousers, which never really fitted. Yeah. And his dad would be playing on his organ. And it was exactly that thing where he did very little with his fingers. It almost plays itself, I remember him saying. Well, they do. Yeah. They do. But it's funny, back on my tour, you know, I've, had, I've only done two gigs on my rescheduled tour and I'm using this old keyboard and it, it really has got a mind of its own because <laughs> it, it suddenly changes key without me having changed the key myself. <laughs> but the audience love it and they just think oh, it's me being really clever. But it's not, it's the organ. <laughs> I very rarely actually make a mistake on purpose. It just happens, and then I really I try my best to recover. This is as as John Shuttleworth, and people mm. I've had musicians, really good musicians, come up after gigs and say, "Oh man, that's so clever the way you screw it up like that." And I say, "Oh thanks," <laughs> <laughs> but it's not me. I'm worried about. I'm conscious of your grandchild coming. It's all right. My wife can play. It'll be all right. I'm really enjoy. I'm really enjoying this, Mike. Good. So am I. <laughs> There is a real joy to listening to John Shuttleworth and watching him. And the joy I get from it is exactly what you described, that actually he's really trying to do his best. And he thinks what he's doing is extremely good. And I think often you watch it and you think, oh, God, that's awful. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, what a terrible rhyme. And then just occasionally you do something that really is quite lovely and it takes an audience by surprise. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, it's. I don't like to try and work out the appeal of my own characters because it, it's it's for other people to do, really. Mm. But there there is a slight conflict of interest because, uh, you know, that was what you've described as very early Shuttleworth and perhaps mid-Shuttleworth. I've been doing the character now for over 30 years. It's been my living for over 30 years, mm. uh, off and on, most mostly on. And I've, you know that screwing up a song or do, doing a, a song badly, I got fed up of doing that and started to put out good songs and then, but just sort of twisting them a bit yeah, to Shuttleworthize them. So, you know, a song like I Can't Go Back to Savory Now, you know, lovely, lovely tune, lovely soaring melody. 
But the lyric is obviously not going to be sung by Roger Whittaker. <laughs> no, he's he's nearly... I think he's retired now. I was trying to think. I was going to say... Um, I don't know, Cliff Richard. I think Roger Whittaker is a really good choice. There's an element, there's always an element of Shuttleworth that is that is Roger Whittaker. And I think you you, ah. you know that. There is an element where he is singing those slightly over-sentimental songs sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That he thinks, you know, this is going to get you. This one's going to get you. Yeah. I know I'm going to miss the wind in my hair. What's that? I'm a home-loving man. Sing it high. <laughs> Sing it high. I'm not going to do it for you. This is not an audition. You're sounding a bit baritone. <laughs> I have gone very baritone, yeah. <laughs> All right, come on. Let's move on to number four. Okay. Well, okay, number four, uh, this is not an actual physical item. This is an experience. Can you do Am I allowed to put an experience in? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This is my 60th birthday surprise do, which I had <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um I went to London with my girlfriend, uh, Miriam, who um, very kindly, I thought, well, it was kind whatever, what she did. Um, she basically took me to the dentist to fix my crown, which was chipped, and that was in Highgate. Uh, so I thought, well, that's a lovely birthday present. Thank you, Miriam. And then we went into town. So I'm sounding like Simon Williams now. <laughs> we went into town. We suddenly found ourselves walking past the, is it Bar Zafarial or... I'm sure it's a familiar haunt for you, Mike. Bar Zafiel. <laughs> is this in the West End? I've got it written down. Hang on. Brasserie Zadiel. Brasserie Zadel? That's it. Okay. It's near Piccadilly. It's in Piccadilly. It's a lovely right. uh, French restaurant downstairs. Anyway, she said, oh, let's just go in here for a coffee. So we went in for a coffee. Got to this table. My kids are all there waiting. Uh, and, I, do you know, I nearly fainted. <laughs> and I actually felt my legs go because... And my uh, one of my sisters and my agent and a couple of friends, and there was a surprise dinner. Uh. But I nearly, I nearly, um, yeah, I just went a bit wobbly for a second, especially my son who was uh, only fifteen at the time, and I just didn't think he would have been allowed to to come because my ex was a little bit protective of, of him at the time. Mm. So I didn't see him as often as I wanted to. So it, it was brilliant, and I, it was just. I'd love to put that in the capsule because it was, I just had to pinch myself that I was having this amazing do, you know, when I just thought I was going to have my, my crown fixed. <laughs> and you ate an oyster and it had a stone in it and you cracked your crown. <laughs> That's the end of that anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have ended horribly, couldn't it? It could have been awful. Like you say. That's happened to me and anybody who's ever had a, a surprise like that. You don't expect people to do it, do you? Can I ask a question? Mm, yeah, go on. Ask a question. Have you ever done that for someone else or have you only ever had it done for you? I've only ever had it done for me. <gasps> yeah. Me too. Mm. That's because we're selfish thespians. Can't be asked. Cannot be asked. I know. But we should. Yeah. We should make a pledge now to do it for someone, mm -hmm. for our partners. I've had a number of really quite momentous things go by in my life and really I think it probably was my responsibility to do something about it for example my wife and I hit 45 years together of marriage yeah. wow that was my turn to open my mouth and look amazed <laughs> 45 years that's incredible yeah that's longer than I've been doing John Shuttleworth yeah it's even that's before Jilted John did, did you meet at university or? yeah we did yeah yeah crazy oh well that's <laughs> that's lovely I mean, it seems lovely. The truth may be a lot sadder and um, 
you know, you just... That we're just hanging on to each other because we can't find anybody better. (laughs) No. And so actually, when you get those things go past you, they go away, and then you think, I should have done something for that. I really should have thought about it. I've got friends, you probably got friends like this, who are extremely good at organising parties for almost everything. So almost every event that comes along in their life, they go, we're having a party. And it may just be people turning up at the house and bringing a bottle. But I, I don't think I've, you know, once, my wife's 40th birthday, I think, I actually organised a lunch. That's it. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I, I I want to make more effort to do things like that. And as I as I get older and, and I'm starting to sort of semi-retire, I can sort of see the possibilities of that. In fact, I so enjoyed my 60th birthday with my kids being there that recently I paid for them to fly up to Orkney where I've got a little place I've got an old church that I've converted into a recording studio. Wow. And general artist artist's retreat. Mm-hmm. That's what I said on the grant application form. <laughs> it's going to be an artist's retreat. Uh, yeah, so they came up. Um, well, my, me and my son George drove up, and then my two daughters got the plane because it's a long way. And uh, it was brilliant. We just – I moved to Leicester from Louth in Lincolnshire where – I was living for quite a few years, having moved from London. And I now live in Leicester with Miriam. And um, I've been making sourdough bread during the uh, the lockdown. And I took my starter with me up up to Orkney because it, it travels very well, Mike, in case you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I could give you a little bit of my starter and then you could make your own loaves. Well, you know? I do, because I, I spend the exorbitant sum, I think, of uh, £3.75 a day on the very expensive, rather posh bakery at the end of my road. Do you know, I've just got a vision of you walking along the, the road with, with this posh loaf under your arm. Through the leafy streets of Tunbridge Wells. Yeah, and just sort of nodding to people who know you. Is that Morning, that morning. Well, I, you know, generally shopkeepers and things, they'll come out and say, oh, morning, sir. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I'm off to get the bread. <sighs> I can even post you a bit of my starter because you can do that. You smear it onto a bit of paper. You can buy it on eBay, apparently. But... But, yeah, I might do that. I probably won't. Do. But it would be a nice idea, wouldn't it? I made my own bread for a while, but I've never done sourdough with it's there all the time, isn't it? There's a lot of mystique attached to it. It's incredibly easy. It's like sauerkraut. You just cover it in salt, chop it fine, cover it in salt, and you massage it until all the liquid comes out. And then you let it steep in its own brine Mm. for a week, and then you have this healthy sauerkraut. It's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I will always make sauerkraut now until I die. I've had Friday nights like that, actually. People have covered me in salt and uh, just massaged it in. Oh. <laughs> I've done a lot of seeping in my time. You see, you make jokes, right? <laughs> um, and that's good because you're not even officially a comedian. I'm officially a comedian, but I never make jokes <laughs> because I can't, I, I just, I don't know, I'd just rather tell a little shaggy dog tale. There, well, there's a big difference. You know, I mean, a lot of comedians, they just deliver jokes. Or they will build a story around a joke. Yeah. But I I have to say, I like the ones that just rambled. Well, it's funny because, you know, I mean, lockdown's obviously eased now, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand them opening up the bingo halls. But um, I think opening up the casinos, that was a bit too much of a gamble. <laughs> there we are. Now, I made that up. So I can make jokes up. <laughs> and I gave it to John Shuttleworth, and he says it now, very pointedly, near the beginning of his show, and says... <laughs> Oh, yeah, just Kenton told me to say that joke, to, to get you on my side early on. Oh, yeah, Mike's laughing. Obviously, it worked. Fantastic. So I can't, you know, as Shuttleworth, Shuttleworth isn't a comedian, 
So I don't register any of the laughter when I'm on stage. I can't. No. Because and to that extent, it's a piece of theatre. Everyone will go, oh, thanks very much. You know, like a, a normal comedian. Oh, oh, you didn't like that one. Oh, no, no. John doesn't do that. He just rambles and then the laughter comes or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So if I tell any kind of what might be termed a joke, it has to be very pointed and placed and say, oh, here's a joke. You know, I quite like that. I yeah, quite like that. one I heard in the pub, yeah. Yes. Do you ever do them and then just get them wrong? Um, well, yeah, I mean, Shuttleworth, I think one of the most endearing things about the character is that he bumbles and he gets the lyrics wrong to his songs. And again, that's me actually forgetting the lyrics because, and this almost presages my final time capsule item. Oh, Okay. Should we move on? Well, it, it will lead in nicely, but it's, I've got a bad memory. And I um, it's got worse as I got older. Right. So John Shuttleworth is in the time capsule, and the thing you're going to get rid of... Is an incident right. where I forgot all my lines in, in at the Edinburgh Fringe oh, God. in 2006. And I think it was partly overwork. I'd, I'd done so many John Shuttleworth tours, and when I wasn't touring, I was doing a radio series... I did do a bit of telly. I did, only did one series, 500 bus stops. But I was just always working. Then I invented another character called Brian Appleton, and I did a couple of Radio 4 series with him. But I'd, mainly it was Shuttleworth. And and then I created a character called Dave Tordoff, who was this concreter from Ghoul in East Yorkshire, who was quite different to the other two in that he wouldn't go, uh, um, like that, like John could. He's very much like that. You know, he's like a, a businessman, you know, Quite a builder. We're a builder like that. Mm. So he knew exactly what he was saying, Mike. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A bit scary in a way. It was a kind of my attempt to do a kind of loads of money character, but so he was quite nouveau riche and just had all the latest gadgets, but he was a little bit coarse. So anyway, I went up to the Edinburgh Fringe 2006 and I one evening, the show was going well, the audiences were growing, and I just had, I don't know if you've had a time where you've just, completely mind has gone blank well it did and and i actually saw tumbleweed um and <laughs> it must have lasted 30 seconds and then i somehow recovered my in- instinct theatrical instinct kicked in and i somehow got to the end of the show but i was just so i, I guess i'd had stage fright and some kind of meltdown it, it felt like and i just came off and i thought i'm scared i'm not going on stage again mm. i'm going to end this run which was only about a week in, and I had another two weeks to go. So I went back to my digs in, in Edinburgh and just lay on my bed all night, didn't get to sleep. And I first train in the morning, I, I took back home. And uh, my agent had some explaining to do to, well, Nicholas Parsons. I was all booked to be on Nicholas Parsons' radio show. Uh. The thing is, in a way, I wouldn't put anything in, in the time capsule that's that's a regret. or, I mean, because... You know, there were other things I could have put in, you know, embarrassing moments. But I don't know about you, but I kind of think everything happens for a reason. And that that happened to me for a reason. It was to say, for God's sake, slow down uh, or you're going to get a heart attack. Just take more time off. Go on a proper holiday. Mm. So the next time you went back on stage, how long was that? It was about six six months, I think, at least. Right. Yeah. And, ah, and then I went back to John and I realised that these memory problems I'd had for quite a few years, and as John Shuttleworth, that wasn't a problem because people would just laugh if I forgot the words. Mm. And the, the character, in a way, sort of covered 
covered my tracks. But with Dave Tordoff, I was stuck because A, it was a character I didn't know as well. It was a new character. And B, he just, he wouldn't go, uh, ooh, I uh, don't know what to, uh, you know, he was precise in his, mm-hmm. everything he said. And, and the script ran away from me. Um, I haven't actually done him live since, which is a shame because, you know, it, it was a good character. and uh, But there was a, I think I felt a bit pressurised to come up with lots of different characters. I suspect Steve Coogan felt the same, you know, because he used to do a lot. Al Murray, the same thing. If you come up with one great character, it's very difficult. You you personally think, well, I can do other things. I can do lots of things, you know, look. And you want to show people that, I'm sure. But I think people also know, but there is a great affection for these people. And the problem is the crowd will keep saying, you know, do him again, do him again. Yes. Well, that's it. And you're trying to prove to yourself that you can do something else. Because, I mean, I do get sick of doing John Trickleworth, and I was sick of John Trickleworth. Um, and I, w- I put so much effort into Brian Appleton. That was a, a musicologist who um, felt that he'd uh, been ripped off. I, we, we tagged him the Forrest Gump of rock <laughs> and that uh, he somehow influenced all the events in, in the or certain pivotal moments in, in the, the rock world. And I used to read loads of rock anthologies finding little facts, like Rod Stewart was a grave digger, for instance. Phil Collins sang, uh, it was a bit like you, Mike, you know, he, he was a um, an all-round entertainer. You know, he, he played the Artful Dodger on the West End yeah. when he was a kid. And then I would sort of um, plant Brian in there somehow while he was in the graveyard when Rod Stewart was an apprentice grave digger. And, <laughs> and, and there's a story about a maggot that he was trying to uh, wake up. <laughs> you see, you get in the drift. So... <laughs> but, and it was good, and I put so much work into that, but it didn't really come off as well as I wanted it. And people were saying, it's all right, but, you know, we prefer John. So I went back to Shuttleworth. Mm. But I haven't done John Shuttleworth for, apart from, well, obviously during the lockdown, but before that I hadn't done him a tour for a couple of years. Mm. So I used to do a tour every year. Now I'm doing one every two years, maybe. Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad. And I'm afraid you say I like to write jokes. I immediately went through the list of Rod Stewart songs that I know and tried to make one turn into a joke. You see, you tempted me. You pushed me into it. Yes. And I've got Rod Stewart went into a partnership. He did rectal examinations on people. And they said to him, how's it going? And he said, well, we are ailing. <laughs> you see, I'm afraid you lost me when you used the word rectal because instantly it becomes a little bit smutty. <laughs> you don't do smutty, do you, ever? I don't do... I, well, I got... John's written a song called Up and Down Like a Bride's Nighty. Oh, no. Which, the only way I get around that is that John doesn't understand the phrase. Mm-hmm. And I've got a whole story about him uh, going to Whitby with his wife for a honeymoon and walking up and down the hills. I shouldn't be doing this as John, shouldn't I, really? But, <laughs> no... Um, I won't. I'm walking up and down the the cliffs because there was nothing else to do. Yeah, I should have done it as John. Um, <laughs> that's interesting because, you know, you're the sort of guy that I probably could collaborate with. We could have written sitcoms. We could have written songs. Yeah. But I'm a bit of a, a solitary person, I think, and I've ended up kind of working on my own, maybe because people think... I do get offers, but I, I always sort of go, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, I've done that a number of times. I've done that with all sorts of people, yeah, where they've said, we should write together. And I go, yeah, that'd be great. And then actually, as is the case now, I'd rather take my grandkids out or my children, you know. So that's been my life. Yeah. 
Well, we have to end it. I know that's a very clever hint. But um, <laughs> Shuttleworth is, although I, I am winding down with him, I, I, the BBC, bless them, keep recommissioning the Shuttleworth. So I've got two half-hour specials coming out in 2023 and um, don't know what time or, or what they're going to be about, but it's just brilliant. I mean, I think that will make it the longest-running radio sitcom ever. Wow. It'll be 30 years, because it was 93 when I, the Shuttleworths first appeared. Brilliant. Yeah. It's not yeah. bad, is it? I think it's a fantastic thing. I mean, I'm always amazed the Now Show is still going, but uh, John Shuttleworth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Goon Show only ran for nine years, and um, I think, yeah, at the moment, week ending was 29 years. Wow. It's a bit sad that I'm checking out these records, isn't it, to see if I can... <laughs> it's because, you know, I'm not... Not really getting many accolades at them anymore. <laughs> so when you asked me to be on this, you know, I was just so excited. You won't believe when I do the introduction to this. Are we going to get the ads on them? Um, because I'm very nearly booked a holiday on the strength of <laughs> of your ads. They're, 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 you know, for adverts, they're very good ads. Thank you. Because they, they, it's clever. It must be down to your delivery, partly. Yes, we get sponsors, and then we have to write adverts for it. And uh, and my son and I. Have great fun doing it. He's very good. He has a style that is completely different to mine. I, I keep saying to him, "You want to punch that word a bit more?" That you know, and that's a key word in the thing. He said, "Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be all right, Dad. Don't worry. I'll just keep it subtle." Well, I think he's a little bit disrespectful. Oh. But then you've be probably been saying that to him for twenty years, have you? Uh, yeah, I probably have. Yeah, I've been probably trying to turn him into me. All right. I'm going to take the very bad memory that you have of Edinburgh and that's going to be locked away in the time capsule. You'll never have to think about that again. It's gone. Thank you. You're thinking of Rod Stewart lyrics, aren't you? I am. You? I'm still thinking of Rod Stewart. Yeah. Well, as I always say, first cut is the deepest, so let's go. Do you think I'm sexy? <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Graham Fellows. Do go and see him as John Shuttleworth if you get the chance. It's a real treat. And if he's serious about heading towards retirement, time is running out. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I know there are lots out there, so we appreciate you choosing us. If you fancy subscribing, then that would be great. If you also fancy leaving a nice rating or review, that would be even greater. And if you're a massive production company and fancy offering us millions of pounds to buy this idea, then you're the greatest. As long as I can still host it. You can follow us on several social media sites. That's both me and my time capsule. The theme tune was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available to listen to or download on Spotify. This has been a cast-off production for Acast. So, thanks very much to them. Although you can listen to any of the episodes so far on your own favourite podcast provider, obviously. Our producer was John Fenton-Stevens. Right, if you've made it this far, then you may be one of the few people who actually listen all the way to the end. If you are, then you may know that just occasionally there's an advert played once I stop talking. And every now and again they play one of the sponsor adverts that Graham was so kind about at the end of our chat. If you want to stop listening before that happens, that's fine. My friends listen. Well, not all of them, but Maggie may. If you do listen, then have I told you lately that I love you? Especially Jane. How is the baby, Jane? And, oh, by the way, I like your dress. You wear it well. Especially with those handbags and glad rags. Although, are you sure you need those thermal long socks? 
I thought you already had hot legs. No, sorry, still thinking of Rod Stewart. Look, I don't want to talk about it. Bye. Bye.